When I talk to people in the wireless industry about this, many of them are just floored by the fact that this stuff works. Frankly, it's a marvel of engineering that you can have a standard cell phone talk to a satellite. A spacecraft 16 times bigger than a king-size bed, flying at 17,000 miles per hour, 320 miles above the Earth. It's not as ambitious as a sci-fi starship or even one of its subordinate shuttlecraft, but this giant instrument has the potential, eventually, to connect up to 1.8 billion people across six continents. It's called Blue Walker 3, and it's just one of over 3,000 communication satellites orbiting the Earth as you listen to this. Some of them hover permanently over one position on the planet, 22,000 miles away. Other, smaller sats skitter across the surface at just a few hundred miles up. But all of them are trying to do roughly the same thing, carry information from one Earthling to another. Now, you might think that the phone in your pocket already talks directly to satellites. And to be fair, it does for some applications like GPS. But phone calls, messages, wireless data? Well, that's another story. As we learned way back on episode one of this podcast, your cell phone is actually connected to something much closer, a cell site, or more commonly called a tower, at most a few miles away. For a portable handset to talk to space, to provide the literal extraterrestrial communications we see in, well, every space show ever, well, that takes a lot of different technologies working together. And a quarter century after the first satellite phones became available to the general public, we are finally at the point where your smartphone can talk to space to do some pretty cool stuff. And today, we're going to learn a little about how it all works. This is Living in the Future, a podcast powered by MediaTek that tells the story of technology that's evolved beyond the TV screen, transformed from fantastical cinematic science fiction to actual products that change the way we live and work. I'm your host, Michael Fisher, and this is episode six, The Satellite Phone. This podcast is sponsored by MediaTek, which is working to bring reliable connectivity everywhere with the IoT NTN chipset. It delivers two-way satellite communications to smartphones and other devices, and it's already powering popular products like the Motorola Defy Satellite Link, a tiny pocket accessory, and the Motorola Defy 2 and Cat S75 smartphones. For peace of mind on all your adventures, knowing that even in remote places you can message your friends and family or request emergency assistance, keep these MediaTek-powered satellite devices in mind. My guest today is Mike Dano, Editorial Director, 5G and Mobile Strategies of global telecom news site Light Reading. Mike, welcome to the future. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to have you. So before we can even think about connecting a phone to an orbiting satellite, which we're going to talk about in a second, you got to get the satellites up there, right? So has that become kind of the easy part now that SpaceX and United Launch Alliance and these contractors are, are pretty reliable for putting stuff in orbit? I mean, yeah, you, you'd think so, right? Like, uh, 
Uh, it, it is a it's a real interesting topic uh, when you talk about getting the satellites up there. I think, and it's actually one of the things that I've started asking all these companies about: How are you going to get these satellites up there? Mm. Um, and part of the reason is because uh, you know one of the one of the issues that uh, several players ran into recently is that they had contracted with uh, Russian companies to use the Russian launch facilities to get their satellites up into orbit. But uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine, all that all that work uh, was immediately stopped, and basically Russia is the Russian Space Association is no longer an option for launching these mm. satellites. Um, but there are other uh, there obviously are other options out there like SpaceX and stuff. But even that is a little bit interesting, I think, because you know Starlink is uh, a subsidiary of SpaceX, and Starlink is you know has its own satellite constellation. It is pursuing this direct to satellite stuff, and so it creates an interesting issue where you know. Some of the companies that are out there are using SpaceX, but SpaceX is directly competing against them, you know, from the perspective of offering Internet satellite services. It reminds me of the smartphone world a little bit where you have or, you know, or even the consumer tech world in general. You know, you have Google, which is making Android for all its uh, manufacturing partners to use. But it, too, is selling its own pixel branded Android phones. And Microsoft has its surface line and it's kind of competing against um, itself in a way. It's interesting. I, I wonder if there yes. will come a choke point where SpaceX is like, well, we're going to keep putting our Starlink satellites up there, but um, you know, it's going to cost a lot more to put this competing service up there. But let's give people an understanding exactly. of the differences here between like, so we're going to talk about the, the different vendors in a second, but just to stay on the, you know, high altitude view, <laughs> it didn't mean to do that, but uh, of, uh, of, of space, <laughs> well, you know, there are differences in satellites. Not all satellites are created equal, right? We've got LEO or low Earth orbit and geostationary satellites. And that's basically a, a deals with how high these are orbiting over the surface of the Earth, right? Can we just get a quick understanding of, you know, what's how, how low is low Earth orbit for for some of these guys? Yeah, you're you're venturing into territory that I know a little bit, dangerously little about. <laughs> but um, I, I think that you're right. I mean, there's there's various uh, altitudes that these satellites can operate in, and and historically they've been in geosynchronous orbit or or other orbits that are actually quite high above yeah. the Earth. And the you know sort of the recent innovation of low Earth orbit satellites they're they're basically just much closer to the Earth. So that's and that's the challenge, right? So I just looked it up because I I wanted to 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 kind of help out with a, with a raw figure there. And we're talking twenty two thousand miles distant if you want to be in geostationary orbit, right? Which is a satellite that's kind of hovering in one place over the globe as we as we orbit. Right, right, and uh, and so they're geosynchronous. They stay above one place on the Earth, um, and typically these LEO satellites do not do that. They they circle the Earth very quickly, but they do it at a much lower orbit. And so for these, some of these services, it's actually very important because the closer you are, the closer the satellite is physically to Earth, typically the faster the internet connection is, and and that and the faster and lo and lower latency. And so for a lot of these services, that's actually very important. So. So, especially uh, this uh, phone to satellite connections, um, I think those those low Earth orbit satellites. That's the only way that this stuff works is to get it closer, get those satellites closer to the Earth. 
So there are technical uh, difficulties to that because, the you know, if you have a geosynchronous satellite way out there at whatever, 22,000 miles, it just sits there in the sky. You know, it, 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 it effectively, from our perspective here on the ground, it never moves. So it's easy, easier, I would imagine, to have a satellite, to have a sat phone connect to that. But these low Earth orbit satellites at 640 to 1120 kilometers above the Earth, 400 to 700 miles, you know, they're zipping by, what, they're only in the sky for a few minutes at a time. So you have to have a lot of them effectively, right? Exactly. Yeah, you do need to have a constellation yeah. of these satellites to have um, services that are always available. Now, here's the interesting thing is that some of the players that are in this market of phone-to-satellite connections, they don't have a, a, a full constellation. And what that means is that their initial services are only available for certain times of the day, meaning uh. that if you are trying to connect to one of their satellites, they only have so many up there, and there's there's literally not enough up there to maintain a constant connection. So you can send these emergency messages at 12, <laughs> 12 p.m., but not 1 p.m., because they <laughs> literally don't have any satellites in orbit at that time. So that's that's where we're starting. We're starting at the very beginning, where this stuff is, you know, it, it kind of works sometimes, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a really effective uh, marketing tagline. It kind of works sometimes. Brought to you by Sometimes, Incorporated. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, you know that er, the early one from Apple. That's the one that you know they they have solved many of these problems. But even in that case, you you know you the Apple software will you know tell you where you're where you need to point your phone in the sky so that they can connect. It's this is early days for this stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to get to the specifics of how those the different services kind of work. But let's let's you know, kind of transition to the phones themselves. I remember watching, I don't know why this sticks out. Maybe it's Jurassic Park, but I, I think it was a much crappier movie like Anaconda or something. <laughs> uh, I just remember an action movie from the 90s where the, there was a plot point where some animal, some the, the predator had, had ingested a satellite phone. And um, there was a whole plot point of having to go retrieve it or something. And it was a monster I mean, satellite phones went from these huge bricks with mast-like antennas, just goofily huge, to, you know, they kind of got miniaturized over the decades, but they were still monsters, to, like, seemingly overnight last year, we we got satellite technology integrated into phones that are, like, literally our everyday smartphones. How did that happen? I, I have a feeling that you're going to tell me that the you know the the modern cell phone with integrated satellite functionality uh, is <laughs> much more limited in what it can do than those giant shoe-sized phones of yesteryear. It is. It's true. And, you know, when I talk to people in the wireless industry about this, I have to admit that many of them are just floored by the fact that this stuff works because <laughs> it is, it's, you know, it's basing, basically mashing together two separate industries, the satellite industry and the, you know, terrestrial wireless industry. And it's using a, a sort of a, a mix of spectrum and technologies that are not really <laughs> meant to go together or weren't initially intended to go together. And so it really is, a, a, a frankly, it's a marvel of engineering that uh, that you can have a, a standard cell phone talk to a satellite. It's just, it's, it's, it's borderline <laughs> miracle. Yeah. Um, from, from the, even from the, you know, the advanced tech people that I talk to, they're like, wow, I can't believe this works. But there's a lot that's going on in the background, I think, that's, that's, that's making this work. And, and like I said, it is still early days. This stuff will, will get better. Right. Um, 
Now, but but you're right. I mean, the you know the the early satellite phones the, they were huge. They've definitely sh- shrink those down. But then the new thing is you know having basically devices that are not intended to be satellite phones at all. They they can still connect to satellites. Yeah. So and I feel like there's a there's a big functionality difference, right? These the the old ones I think no, most notably supported voice, the, the big dedicated satellite phones. And right now, unless I'm mistaken, it, a modern smartphone that advertises itself as having integrated satellite technology basically only gives you text messaging uh, at best, right? And and kind of at at uh, at a minimum emergency text messaging only. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's where they're starting now. It's it's really emergency text messaging. And then, you know, we'll, there's been tests of voice calling. There's been tests of higher speed data. But right now, I think in the foreseeable future, it's only going to be emergency messaging. How does it even work? Can you just give you know you talked about the fact that it's kind of mind blowing that the, that it even works? But how can a cell phone, which is designed for short range, low power comms, as we learned in a previous episode, um, how can it talk to an orbiting satellite at all? It's really quite amazing, I think. I mean, and and you're right that you know there's 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 satellite phones that are dedicated to connecting to satellites, and those sort of are a different class of devices. But the really the new thing is that you know, regular smartphones suddenly can now start connecting to some of these satellites. And, you know, uh, there's two... Uh, I, I think what the, the main thing that's going on is that there's not very much change that's happening to the phones. They're still the smartphones that we've been buying for, you know, 10 years now. The change is that there's satellites that can listen in for those smartphones. That's that's really the change is that you've got satellites up there that can, can that can really listen really carefully and 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 be able to hear these phones that you're right are only designed to connect to the cell tower that you know might be two or three miles away but because the the satellites are listening so hard they can they can hear that you know from from way up. It's so it's interesting. You're uh, evoking an old memory of mine, which I hope I haven't mentioned on this show before, but I used to voraciously read the Star Trek The Next Generation technical manual. And it used to, you know, the, the authors would try to describe how a, a communicator badge on the ground would talk to the starship orbiting uh, way above. And I remember this passage that said, you know, the starship has to be the active partner in the uh, communication process because it has a much more powerful receiver or whatever. And I couldn't really wrap my head around that as a kid, but that it makes all the sense in the world now. Yeah, you force the satellite, which has a lot more power, a lot more available resources to just be a much better listener. And if you have a big enough ear, you can hear uh, 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 somebody whispering from very far away, if, if that's a workable analogy. Yeah, I like that. I think, right, it's, everything eventually ties back to Star Trek, doesn't it? <laughs> that's always oh, a, man. a catch Every episode kind of, of this show, let me yeah. tell you, yeah, I've been uh, <laughs> trying to say, talk about it less, because I'm sure people are sick of hearing me uh, Trek nerdify <laughs> the, the whole show. In that case, I, I won't go into the holodeck, but... Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. that's a, that should be a future episode, really. Um <laughs> We learned uh, in, in a previous episode from, uh, from Dr. Marty Cooper, actually, in the first episode of the show, about what, what is called bandwidth, the fact that radio frequency spectrum is finite. You cannot just put unlimited phones on the airwaves like you can't cram unlimited cars onto a highway. Um, on the ground here, we deal with that on cellular networks um, through a variety of means, building more towers, reusing frequencies, all this stuff. Listen to episode one, listener, if you haven't. But how can a satellite network preserve bandwidth to ensure that, you know, there's capacity for people, for all users? Yeah. 
Yeah, again, it goes back to that sort of marvel of engineering. And uh, yeah, I think Marty Cooper will probably forget more than I'll ever know about telecom. So <laughs> he, he would be a better person than I to talk about that. But yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the bottom line is uh, it, it depends on how much spectrum you can throw at the problem um, and uh, and then how the, the satellite constellation, you know, is, is designed. But, you know, basically it's just that... Uh, uh, in the case of Apple, they have some dedicated spectrum. So Global Star owns spectrum that 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 is de- is intended for satellite communication. Global Star is the provider that is giving Apple that uh, that connectivity on the iPhone. The Global Star is their satellite partner for Correct. that. Correct, and and so the the iPhone has a special uh, receiver in it that works in Global Star's spectrum, and it goes to Global Star's satellites, and that's how the Apple emergency messaging service works. And, uh, you know, Global Star has some spectrum, but certainly not nearly as much as a Verizon or a T-Mobile. And so that's kind of why you're seeing it as just emergency messaging to begin with. And, and so that's, that's, that's definitely one of the main factors is, as to whether or not this is going to do emergency messaging versus, you know, high-speed data type stuff. But we are starting to see some innovations in this area. There's a company called AST Space Mobile. And uh, what they're doing is they're yeah. partnering with companies like AT&T, and they're using AT&T's spectrum. So, you know, in the case of Apple, it's it's spectrum that is owned by Global Star, but in the case of AT&T, it's spectrum that's owned by AT&T. And in that case, um, they've been really yeah they've been able to do they've been able to do some tests with AT&T. But the interesting thing there is that the the AST space mobile satellites are actually much bigger. They're much bigger than a lot of the other satellites that are being used for this kind of service. And so because the satellite is so big, it can listen really well. And so even with a little bit of spectrum, they can still get to some of the higher speed uh, data services. They've done a, a voice call test, and they've also done a connection that goes up to 10 megabits a second from a regular phone through AT&T's spectrum to a satellite, which is you know, to get a 10 megabits a second connection is frankly astounding. Oh, that's wild. Are those AST satellites, are they, um, I would imagine they're the low Earth orbit ones in, in order to get that kind of speed. I, I wouldn't imagine they'd be the far away geosynchronous ones, uh, or are they? Exactly. They are low Earth orbit, yeah. And they're, and so far they've only got one up there as a test satellite. Hopefully, the next year they're hoping to launch five. Wow. Uh, five additional satellites on the way to more than 100 as a total satellite constellation. It's interesting. The parallels to cellular are, um, you know, they continue essentially. Like here on the ground, we've got big, big radio masts for large full-size macro cell sites and then these tiny little pico cells everywhere indoors. And in orbit, you've got these apparently huge AST-type satellites and then these little Starlink things <laughs> whipping around. Um, does Starlink, refresh my memory, does it provide any kind of cellular uh, connectivity or is Starlink just for folks who subscribe and have the kind of dish on their RV or the in their front yard? Sure. So Starlink is another player in this whole direct-to-sell marketplace, and Starlink has a deal with Mm T-Mobile. And so Starlink would use T-Mobile's Spectrum, and then what Starlink also needs to do is launch its second-generation satellites. So the current Starlink satellites that are up there cannot do this. Uh, They cannot connect to regular phones. You do need to—they do need to launch new generation two satellites. And those satellites, my understanding is that they're much bigger. Um, and in fact, uh, Starlink, the, 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 
the second generation satellites that it had initially planned to launch, it was only going to be able to do that with the giant, uh, what is it called? It's called, uh, I think it's the spaceship, the giant satellite that SpaceX wants to use to launch it. The uh, the Starship, uh, the heavy lift vehicle? Starship. Yep. Starship. They, they wanted to get him up with the Starship, but uh, Starship isn't working yet, so they're, they're going to do a scaled-down version of their Generation 2 satellites that will be able to be launched through their Falcon 9 rockets. So that's the current plan on the, on the, on the Starlink side of things. But yeah, they're, they're working with T-Mobile on a very similar setup with the same idea of big satellites, low Earth orbit, spectrum through T-Mobile. I'm still preoccupied, just to, to, before we get too far away from it, I'm still thinking of the fact that you just said that AT&T is using its own spectrum for that. And like, man, I don't know if there's a drier thing to say uh, to like empty out a room quicker of, of normal folks than like, I really want to talk about spectrum for a second. But, I, you know, I... I, I oh, I, thank you for saying this. When I, as soon as I start, when I talk to my wife... When I talk to my wife about this, she's like, please don't tell me anymore. This <laughs> yeah, is so please, boring. But I'm like fascinated by yeah, it. I love no, it. No, I, I am too, because I love <laughs> the the kind of parallel or I love the, the um, what do you call it, the mnemonic or the or the analogy of like understanding spectrum as, as kind of land or real estate or highway lanes. It's really, you know, a company buying property on which to do something. It's just that the property happens to be in the airwaves or it is the airwaves. So uh, AT&T, my question is, did they buy that satellite spectrum, that particular bit of spectrum needed um, for satellite communications a long time ago in anticipation of this kind of semi-mini revolution of satellite comms, do you think? Or were they holding on to it or were they issued it? Great yeah. question. What Apple did is they worked with, you know, Global Star and they used mm -hmm. Global Star's spectrum. Well, Global Star's spectrum has already been approved by regulators to be used from satellites to ground, okay. stuff on the ground. So that's why the Apple service works already, is because Global Star already has approval to conduct those kinds of communications. What's interesting about all this stuff, I think is very fascinating, is that so the so you know the spectrum that AT&T is planning to use with Space Mobile and the spectrum that T-Mobile is planning to use with Starlink, that spectrum has not been approved by regulators yet to connect to satellites. That spectrum is specifically designed, intended to, to be used only on the ground. And so T-Mobile and AT&T are asking the FCC for permission to use their spectrum in a way that that was not intended, meaning in a way uh, to connect it from phones to satellites. That is not how that spectrum was intended to be used. And they're both going to need waivers or special approval from the FCC to offer those kinds of services, and neither has received that approval yet. So, they, but they, regardless of the fact that they don't have the approval in hand yet, they are still going forward with building, you know, doing the infrastructure work and spending the money and, and the R&D with the assumption that they're going to get that variance. Exactly. They're, they're hoping they get the FCC approval, but it is not. They, they haven't received it yet, and there's no telling wow. when they might. Um, that's interesting. It's, it, it reminds me also, I used to sell Nextel phones back before we were bought by Sprint just eons ago. And uh, mm. one of the problems Nextel faced was that it, it, was in, it was interfering with public safety communications because of the bands it used were uh, kind of intermingled with those. You had the cellular provider 
causing interference with the public safety, some of whom are the very customers it was trying to serve. And um, there, it, was a, it was a whole mess, but I think it was, it was a similar situation of, we're going to deploy on these frequencies and you know, fix it later, because this is the, again, this is the property we have. This is the spectrum we are allocated. We're going to do what we can with it. So it's, it's kind of fascinating that nothing ever changes. Yeah. And what they're, what they're looking at right now is you have, it's the same situation as you need to prevent interference. So if there's a, if there's a, a cell, a cell tower, a T-Mobile cell tower nearby, you can't connect to a satellite because then you would cause interference. So it only works in places where T-Mobile does not have cell towers. Um, so that's what they're researching now is like how to prevent that kind of inter interference between terrestrial cell towers and satellites. Man. Um, we're kind of coming back to it as we get close to the end here, but I, you know, I think there's a tendency to treat technology as something where um, a new thing comes out and it almost always replaces the old thing. So I think there's probably a temptation in some people's minds to say, well, look, uh, cellular was great for, you know, years, uh, decades, uh, but now satellite is here and it's obviously newer and better, right? So it's going to phase out cellular, right? And I, I know that that's not true, but uh, please confirm for me that that's not true. You're definitely right. <laughs> you're you're sure you're for sure. That's 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 definitely the way that people are looking at this. I mean, I think you know going back to what Marty Cooper said is that, you know, terrestrial networks, that's you know twenty lanes of of freeway that you have for data communications. But when you talk about the satellite communications, that's maybe one lane total ever that you're ever going to get. There's just going to be way more lanes <laughs> of, of, of capacity and bandwidth in a terrestrial network, on a ground-based network, than on a satellite network. And that I don't think that's ever going to change. In fact, my theory is that the the market for satellite phones if you think about the Garmin inReach mm -hmm. and you know devices like that that you would take into the backcountry I think what's going to happen is that those devices you won't see those anymore those are going to go the way of the disposable camera mm. and you know the Walkman um, I think that's th that that cell phones are eventually going to take over that part of the market because they'll they'll be able to connect to satellites you won't need those dedicated devices anymore I need to be a you're I think you're right. I need to be a gadget nerd real quick though and say um I love that right now we're in this transition period where phones that don't have satellite connectivity can use like an external accessory to provide satellite connectivity. Um this is not I don't this isn't the sponsored folks you've already heard the sponsor part for MediaTek but uh I was at MediaTek's booth at, at MWC and that's where the Motorola Defy satellite link was released and it's I love this little hockey puck sized thing or smaller than a hockey puck that your phone can connect via Bluetooth to and it's a self-contained satellite receiver and you you can basically send text messages through a satellite service I don't know who their partner is I should have researched it uh, before I started talking but uh, it's really cool and in a world where everything is kind of becoming increasingly convergence device and the smartphone is taking over everything I really like the excuse to be able to carry around a little a little extra gadget for a few a few years. Yeah, I I I know the device you're talking about, and I've thought seriously about buying one because when I'm mountain biking out in the middle of nowhere, and if I break an ankle, oh, yeah, uh, I I think that would be a, a a pretty a pretty smart investment, you know, for insurance in that situation. Absolutely, 
Yeah. There are this, and you know, right at the edges of consumer tech are all these little weird things. I think uh, there's another company that was doing this about seven or eight years ago before the text messaging service was well before they came to smartphones. And it it wasn't a satellite phone, but it was kind of like a satellite sidekick or a satellite, um, you know, peak. I'm using brand names from ages ago, but it was a text. It was a QWERTY keyboard integrated into a ruggedized old school smartphone looking thing. And it was basically a satellite text message machine. And I just would love to play with these. There's no question there. No knowledge can be derived from that, but I'm fully nerding out. Sorry. <laughs> yes. I think it, any any device that gives me the opportunity to work when I'm way out in the mountains, I'm I'm okay with that. I think that is a good, yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> Agreed. Um, when I was asking my kind of social network on threads and you know, Twitter about this episode, more than one person brought up this notion that um, different countries tackle satellite connectivity differently and that maybe um, some companies do it better, or not companies, uh, countries do it better uh, right now or are more advanced. Um, is there a particular difference in terms of how, for example, China tackles satellite communications? <laughs> okay. So if you're talking about how, you know, spectrum policy regulation becomes complex and, and chases people out of the room because it is so boring, when you talk about international satellite spectrum policy, <laughs> that is Olympic-level nerdy wonkiness. Yeah. And even I, I have spent 20 years learning how Spectrum works in the context of 5G and, and uh, 4G and stuff. I cannot understand <laughs> the, the international satellite spectrum. It is so convoluted and, and so complex uh, that the companies like the, uh, uh, Inmarsat and Viasat and, 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 and uh, Starlink, the, the companies that are able to wend through that regulatory process, I am I am just amazed at it. It really is, it really is a spectrum policy at its absolute peak of complexity because <laughs> each country has its own rules about whether you can use a, sp a spectrum band or not, right. whether you can broadcast you know continuously or every once in a while. As your satellite passes over that country, it has to adhere to all those rules. And the time that it takes to pass over that country might be a total of 10 minutes. You know, it's it's just, it right. is so complex. So I think what a lot of companies are doing is they, they start in the U.S. The rules here are relatively straightforward. And then, the, and then you know, maybe they'd look at Europe. Uh, and then they start looking at other places and, you know, maybe Latin America after that. But they, it is, it does get... Uh, uh, exponentially more complex as you add countries into the mix of of areas that you offer satellite services into. You know what I love about that is that it's it is a it is a very human problem, right? Because the laws of physics have dictated, and you know our technological capabilities as a as a human race have dictated that we have a certain amount of radio frequency space to play around in, and every country has decided to optimize that differently or to deploy it differently. So yeah, it's it's like it would be like to continue the mm -hmm. car analogy. It's like if you crossed a border in uh, Europe, call it like a densely packed continent with a lot of countries, and every time you crossed a country border. All the traffic laws changed. The way cars work changed. And, you know, the laws of physics stay the same. But, exactly. You know, it, 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 all the signage is different. It's all, yeah. So that's I, I could see why it would be complicated. Um, 
but I hold out hope that eventually as this matures, we'll kind of reach toward a, a, a set of global standards that um, make it a lot easier to kind of stay in touch no matter where you are, because that's the whole beautiful thing about satellite comms, isn't it? That, that is it. And, and uh, you know, people talk about 2030. This this will be pretty much figured out by 2030. So give it another seven years and, and maybe we'll we'll get to that kind of a future. Nice. Is there something, you know, as somebody who's very familiar with satellite communications, is there something in particular, one thing that you're looking forward to as, um, you know, as, as it coalesces and becomes a real mainstream consumer tech thing? Yes, um, very much. I am so... Uh, I don't like spending money, so I want my existing smartphone to do all the things. I don't, I don't want to buy anything else. I don't want to spend any more money. So the future that I'm looking forward to is my current phone will allow me to text my wife and tell her that the climb was harder than I thought and I'll be home after dinner. That That's what I want because right now I have no way of getting in touch with her when I'm out of coverage. And so she's left to worry whether or not I've, you know, fallen and ruined myself or if I'm, you know, just running late and, uh, and I'll be there soon. So th- that's what I'm really looking forward to is those. And I, and I would be willing to pay a little bit extra for that, you know, that ability to say, hey, everything's fine, <laughs> going to be home late. Don't worry about me. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I don't know if you could have picked a, uh, a better feature. Now I'm looking forward to that, too. I hadn't thought about it and I don't climb rocks. But uh, I do try and get away from the from the land every so often on a mm. maritime vessel. There so you go. Same thing. Trying to yeah. put one of these to use when that becomes a little more mature. Yeah, yeah. Mike Denno, a difficult topic to make accessible, but um, you've done a great job of that for us, and I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of demystify satellite comms for us. Thanks so much. It's nice talking to you today. Yeah. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Now, personally, I think even more than satellite communication itself, I wish I had a lifestyle that would give me more of an excuse to use it. Adventurers, explorers, these are the kind of folks we see in advertisements for satcoms. But, you know, until I swap out my podcasting pajamas for tactical adventure coveralls, I'm content to leave the space spectrum to those who need it. And to the TV and film characters who continue to make it look just so dang cool. If you have thoughts on space, satellites, smartphones, or some combination of all three, send them to me. I'm online, eternally so, at Captain Two Phones. That's Captain, the number two phones, on Threads, Instagram, and the platform formerly known as Twitter. Until next time, thanks once more to my sponsor, MediaTek, and thanks to you for listening. I've been Michael Fisher, and I'll see you in the future.